Diablo Canyon. Maybe it's never a good idea to name a nuclear power plant after the devil. While the flaws and dangers of the two nuclear reactors on that site are well documented, a short list would be that they are situated in proximity to multiple earthquake faults with a history of flawed or ignored maintenance, bad management by Pacific Gas and Electric, and the potential to radiologically contaminate California's primary agricultural area along with the rest of the state and on to the rest of the country, it was a major step towards sanity when in 2016, the state of California and PG&E announced plans to shut down Diablo Canyon's two reactors in 2024 and 2025. But despite these plans being announced years ago, maintenance deferred as a result and plans in place for an orderly, well-managed shutdown, the California legislature led by presidential hopeful Governor Gavin Newsom, have overturned these plans and now are gifting PG&E for Diablo Canyon with $1.4 billion in taxpayer money and many major exclusions that take away oversight while putting the financial burden on the taxpayers and ratepayers of the state of California. They say it's only for a five-year extension, but it will undoubtedly turn into a 20-year extension. Ramifications large and larger have been indicated and documented, among which, and rarely noted, is the personal pain that homeowners all over California will unavoidably experience if Diablo Canyon blows or seriously leaks. As veteran activist Harvey Wasserman explains, I have a home in Los Angeles. I've read the insurance policy. There is a specific exemption. If Diablo Canyon blows up, God forbid, and a radioactive cloud covers my house in the valley, I get nothing. Nobody gets anything. There is no insurance. It's outrageous. And there are so many other outrages within this story. Well, with the operation of those two nuclear reactors being extended well beyond their use-by dates, and as the nuclear industry pops its bottles of Dom Perignon in celebration of the extension of their madness, the rest of us, those of us who are aware or willing to be aware, are sweating it out in that terrible, awful seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we look back in the very recent past at the battle to retain the long-planned closure dates for the Diablo Canyon Nuclear Power Station in California, and the warnings that legislators and members of the media alike ignored in the mad stampede to keep those nukes running. 
We will hear from a press conference organized by Mothers for Peace featuring cutting-edge activists, engineers, and educators. Harvey Wasserman, Kathy Iwane, Donna Gilmore, Daniel Hirsch, and Arnie Gunderson. The battle is not over because the dangers did not disappear with this vote. And once we hear what's wrong, we'll learn what's coming up. And there will also be nuclear news from around the world. Numbnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness, Linda Pence-Gunter with the Nuclear Hot Seat Hot Story, and more honest nuclear information than you are ever going to get out of California Governor Gavin Nuke Nukesom. All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, September 6, 2022, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. Starting off in Ukraine, where the situation is dire and evolves several times a day. As of recording time, the International Atomic Energy Agency had been allowed into the Zaporizhia 6 reactor facility in Ukraine to inspect and assess the damage. The facility has repeatedly been disconnected from any power source and forced to rely on backup diesel generators. The head of the UN's IAEA, Rafael Grossi, has warned that, quote, something very, very catastrophic could take place at the Zaporizhia plant and urged Russia and Ukraine to establish a nuclear safety and security protection zone around it. In other words, a demilitarized zone. The fear is that the fighting could trigger a disaster on the scale of the Chernobyl disaster in Ukraine in 1986, which ignores the fact that each of the six reactors at Zaporizhia could release radiation equal to 10 to 20 Chernobyls, making it catastrophically worse. Neither Moscow nor Kyiv officials would immediately commit to a safety zone. Shelling has resumed with both sides trading blame on Wednesday, a day after the UN Atomic Watchdog Agency pressed for that safe zone to prevent a catastrophe. Regional Governor Valery Reznichenko said there are fires, blackouts, and other things at the plant that force us to prepare the local population for the consequences of the nuclear dangers. In recent days, officials have distributed potassium iodine pills to residents to help protect their thyroids in the case of a radiation leak. In Enar Hodar, where the plant is located, the city had come under Russian attack for a second time on Wednesday and was without power. Employees of communal and other services simply do not have the time to complete emergency and restoration work as another shelling reduces their work to zero. The Russians blame the Ukrainians. The Ukrainian side blames the Russian. He said, she said, we do not know. Here with some more insight on that, however, is Linda Pence-Gunter of Beyond Nuclear with this week's Nuclear Hot Seat Hot Story. Even as a team of IAEA inspectors were making their way to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine last week, both the Russian and Ukrainian forces continued to accuse each other of shelling the area around the site. The six-reactor site has been occupied by the Russians since early March, but is reportedly still operated by Ukrainian staff, though likely under duress. Many rumors have circulated about what is or is not happening at the plant, as we've addressed in a previous edition of The Hot Story. The question of which side is suicidal enough to shell a nuclear power plant has been the subject of considerable and sometimes unnecessarily protracted debate within our anti-nuclear movement. But it's a futile distraction. It's all speculation as none of us actually knows which side is firing on the plant. 
Furthermore, it draws us into an endless back and forth blame game, which is rarely productive. If we are going to assign blame, then two things are obvious. Ukraine is at fault for choosing nuclear power over other renewable options, although given its past history, it likely didn't have a lot of choice in the matter, and it now accounts for 50% of the country's electricity supply. And Russia is most certainly at fault for invading a nation that has nuclear power plants, putting both countries, if not the wider world, in jeopardy. But the most obvious point of all is that if Zaporizhia were a six-acre wind farm and not a six-reactor nuclear site, we wouldn't even be talking about it at all, let alone wondering how to pronounce it. You would think that the peril around Zaporizhia would be enough to shut the door once and for all on the use of nuclear power today, never mind the insane insistence on continuing on with this high-risk technology. The stakes around Zaporizhia could not be higher. The kinds of radioactive isotopes that would be released from a reactor explosion, or worse still, an irradiated fuel pool fire, can persist in the environment for decades or longer, contaminating land and water and anyone and anything living there. A nuclear disaster at Zaporizhia would be worse than the 1986 Chernobyl explosion, and that latter has left a 1,000 square mile exclusion zone that is still uninhabitable today and will be for the foreseeable future. Are we really prepared to gamble away large swaths of land just to keep nuclear power in the mix, as its proponents insist? With a technology as dangerous as nuclear power, you need to be 100% certain that a major accident cannot happen, given the morally, medically and environmentally unacceptable consequences. That is, of course, an impossibility. The IAEA inspectors went into Zaporizhia, and reportedly some will stay there to monitor things. But let's not forget what the IAEA is all about. As the agency's General Secretary Grossi put it on arrival in Ukraine, their mission was to preserve the nuclear power. Preserve? To preserve and to promote nuclear power, as is the mission of the IAEA, when a nuclear disaster could decimate parts of Europe or worse, when reactors will be swamped by sea level rise and cannot function under weather extremes, when the technology is wildly expensive and desperately slow to build, exemplifies an utter abandonment of common sense. Preserving nuclear power when there are obviously safer, faster alternatives at hand, like that six-acre wind farm, demonstrates the same kind of blind obstinacy and the same stranglehold of the military, industrial and corporate complex that also led to our delinquency on climate action. Crucial ice shelves are melting. Fires and floods are ravaging communities and entire countries. Let's not add a nuclear meltdown to the mess. The alarm around Zaporizhia should bring world leaders to their senses about nuclear power and prompt a universal phase out. If it doesn't, and sadly it won't, then it's just another confirmation that we have the wrong people in power. I'm Linda Pence-Gunter of Beyond Nuclear, reporting for Nuclear Hot Seat, and that's this week's hot story. Linda Pence-Gunter. She is also the author of an article that was just published by Beyond Nuclear International called Collective Madness. Zaporizhia is the poster child for abandoning the use of nuclear power. We'll provide a link on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 585. Here in the U.S., the big news is that in California, the state legislature under the direction of Governor Gavin Newsom 
has voted to extend the operation of the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plants, which were scheduled to be shut down permanently in 2024 and 2025. Along with that, $1.4 billion of taxpayer and ratepayer money has been pledged to PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric, which operates the facility. We will have much more on this on today's special feature. In other U.S. nuclear news, based on reports from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Entergy's nuclear facility at Riverbend in Louisiana was discovered to have five violations, and Grand Gulf in Mississippi had six. A more appropriate number for each would be zero. In Washington State, the Columbia Generating Station nuclear plant caused worker overexposures and led the NRC to issue two violations based on ongoing sloppy radiation protection practices. In Monroe, Michigan, the turbine trip and scram, which is a sudden breaking of the entire power plant from full power to zero of the Fermi-2 nuclear reactor, was caused by a short circuit, and that short circuit was caused by a swarm of those evil, beyond-design bases Mayflies. That's right, insects swarming shut down Fermi-2 nuclear reactor, which we would like to note is the same Mark I containment design that was used at Fukushima. And a DOJ filing on the Trump documents on nuclear material that were found at Mar-a-Lago included an attachment that was an unredacted subpoena saying that the government was seeking SFRD documents, which is a category of classified nuclear weapons information, among the many types of documents the government was seeking to recover. In other words, they believe top-secret nuclear information was included in the papers found at Mar-a-Lago. In Japan, in August, the government started building facilities at Fukushima needed for the discharge of the radioactive wastewater from the nuclear power plant. In a joint statement, civil society groups, non-governmental organizations, and activists described the government's plans as a fundamental breach of Pacific people's right to a clean, healthy, and sustainable environment. Joey Tao from the Pan-Pacific movement, Young Solwara Pacific, said... We have a nuclear testing legacy in the Pacific that continues to impact our people, our islands, and our way of life, and it impacts the health of our people. Having this plan by Japan poses greater risks to the ocean, which is already in a declining state. While the evacuation order has been lifted for Futaba, the town which hosts the crippled Fukushima nuclear power plant, plants at the site are showing, quote, unusual growing patterns. This, according to Tim Mousseau, a professor of biological sciences at the University of South Carolina and a radiation expert. He told Newsweek that a vast region near the power plant is still significantly contaminated and the effects of radiation continue to be seen in plants in the area. We'll have a link up to this article on our website, nuclearhotseat.com. The episode is number 585. And keeping that story about plants affected by radiation at Fukushima in mind, here's... Nuclear Hot Seed, Nuclear Hot Seed, Nuclear Hot Seed, None that's out of week. When is food not just food? When Fukushima is involved. 
and it's showing up in multiple ways as Japan continues to seek to normalize our perception of Fukushima and that it's all right to go back there and not only live, but eat local. First, China, which has banned imports of all food products from Fukushima and eight neighboring prefectures, as well as food products except for rice from Niigata Prefecture. This was put in place in the wake of the Fukushima nuclear accident in 2011. Beijing put put the import ban on Japanese food in place over the risks of radioactive contamination. Now, talks between Japan and China over Beijing's import ban on Japanese food have not been held for over a year in part because China is protesting Japan's decision to release treated radioactive water from the crippled nuclear plant in Fukushima into the Pacific Ocean. Way to go, China, for holding the line. However, the reframing of Japanese food radiation risks continues as Indonesia has lifted all restrictions on imports of Japanese food products that were imposed after the nuclear accident in 2011. But, of course, it's not from the goodness of the hearts of the Indonesian government, as visiting President Joko Widodo has in turn asked Japan to ease or scrap tariffs it imposes on Indonesian tuna, pineapples, and bananas. So, in other words, it's not about food safety. It's about political quid pro quo. Pushing this narrative that the food is safe, the Japanese government has taken part in Canada's largest food fair for the first time in 15 years. And they're serving up a range of regional specialties, including striped jack from Ehami, sake brewed in Fukushima, and premium beef from Iwate. Mm-mm, good or not. And in Dubai, a local specialty from Fukushima Prefecture is winning over the taste buds of people in the United Arab Emirates. The first ever shipment of anpogaki, or semi-dried persimmons, from Fukushima to the Emirates has gone on sale in Dubai, and people are just grabbing it up as fast as they can. Of course, there's no further word on food testing or radiation limits that are quote-unquote allowable but probably not a good idea, or the long-term effects of internal contamination of radiation on the human body. It doesn't happen automatically, but over time, there can be consequences. So all of this food-related stuff is the reason why food officials in Indonesia, Canada, and Dubai, you are this week's Nuclear hot seed, none nuts of the week. Internationally, good news from the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, or ICANN. African states issued a united call for all countries to sign and ratify the 2017 Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. ICANN tells us that 94% of African countries support the TPNW and are in the process of signing ratifying, getting it voted on, whatever is required per country. And German Foreign Minister Anna-Lena Baerbach reaffirmed her country's commitment to work with states' parties to the nuclear weapons ban during a speech to the NPT conference. In less good news out of Germany, that country plans to keep two of its three remaining nuclear power stations on standby beyond a year-end deadline to permanently close down all of their nuclear reactors, 
This is to ensure enough electricity supply through the winter during a gas crunch. German economy minister Robert Habeck said in a statement that the move did not mean Berlin was reneging on its long-standing promise to exit nuclear energy by the end of 2022. They still deemed nuclear power a high-risk technology, generating radioactive waste that would burden future generations. This is just a matter of keeping two nuclear reactors, ICR-2 and Neckar-Westheim-2, in reserve for any emergency until mid-April of 2023. In the UK, a group called Together Against Sizewell C Limited has issued legal proceedings against the government regarding intentions to build Sizewell C nuclear power station. The group contends that the 3.2 gigawatt power station intended to be built on the old Sizewell B nuclear plant site should not be built in that Suffolk location because water supply cannot be guaranteed and the coastline will not be resilient for the entire lifetime of the project. They argue that the decision to give the go-ahead to Sizewell C is unlawful on a number of grounds, including failure to consider all alternative solutions to the project, including alternatives to nuclear power. Sizewell C was pushed through by lame duck Prime Minister Boris Johnson, committing £700 million in taxpayer cash for the project. The project is intended to be built by France's EDF, and Greenpeace has branded the scheme a lumbering white elephant based on a failed French technology and said the cash would be put to better use on providing insulation for millions of homes across the nation. Andy Mayer, chief operating officer and energy analyst at the Institute of Economic Affairs, said, Nuclear in principle is brilliant. It provides baseload, the always-on power needed to match our basic needs, but nuclear in practice is always over budget and overdue and more nuclear woes for French reactors because 32 out of 56 of France's quote-unquote reliable 24-7 nuclear reactors have been shut most of this summer due to corrosion problems, maintenance, drought, and water temperature. And meanwhile, the point has been raised that wind and sunlight remain free, can't be blocked, need little to no water, and times when they are not available, such as night or during storms, can be predicted far in advance, none of which can be said about nuclear energy. Weather woes are also showing up at Iran's Boucher nuclear power plant. It has curbed power generation because seawater temperatures are too high to cool the reactors. In South Korea, special precautions were taken as super typhoon Hinamnor approached the country with wind gusts as high as 150 miles an hour. The three nuclear reactors at the Cori nuclear power plant were lowered to less than 30% to prepare for the storm. And multinational investment banking firm Goldman Sachs has announced that it does not consider nuclear a transformational technology for the future. We think wind, solar, and hydrogen are, but not nuclear. We'll have this week's feature on Diablo Canyon in just a moment, but first... What a worldwide nuclear mess. Zaporizhia, Diablo Canyon, flooding, drought, and other climate change dangers posed to nuclear reactors. 
The list is as long as the deadly half-life of plutonium, which is 24,000 years. The nuclear industry shores up its well-manicured talking points with a multi-million dollar PR budget, focus groups to test out their talking points, endless self-congratulatory press releases, who knows how much money slipped into re-election campaigns of key legislators, and the time and personnel to slick down their talking points and arguments and place them all over the place, all to drown out activist voices, sane people who are trying to bring the truth about nukes to the public's attention. It's a struggle. And that's why you need nuclear hot seat. Where else are you going to get a weekly one-hour hit of honest nuclear information culled from media sources around the world? Now in its 12th year of weekly programs, Nuclear Hot Seat is one of the only places where you can hear interviews with genuine experts and frontline activists who oppose nuclear for rational reasons, as well as a roundup of international news, numbnuts of the week, and the hot story. We take a deep dive into the human and environmental truth of this deadly industry to bring you the stories and insights that the nukesters and their political minions would rather you not hear. And that's why, if you value Nuclear Hot Seat's work, the time to support us with a donation would be right now. Any amount will help, from $5 to maybe $5 a month or more. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com, click on the red Donate button, and help us with a donation of any amount. Donate what you can now, and know that however much you can help, I am deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Now here's this week's special feature. It's never fun not to win, especially when life, people, and the environment are at stake. And those of us who oppose nuclear suffered a major blow this week when the California legislator voted to keep the Diablo Canyon nuclear facility in the northern part of the state open for a minimum of another five years, but it's probably going to be 20. This setback wasn't for lack of organizing by dedicated activists from around the state who put forth our best spokespeople, most important talking points, created petitions, made thousands of phone calls and sent email, and sent email to legislators to vote against Bill 846. But up against the nuclear industry's millions of dollars of lobbying effort, their multi-year campaign to turn around the 2016 decision to shut them down, and who knows what incentives dangled in front of legislators eager for re-election funds, it was a slaughter. The bill was approved by a vote of 31 to 1 in the California State Senate on Wednesday and 69 to 3 in the Assembly very early on Thursday morning, meaning that the final vote wasn't taken until after midnight on the closing day of the session, There will be more about that, as you will hear. There were so many reasons for this not to happen, but it did. But let's not get depressed because there's still work to be done. So to learn more so we're better armed, let's revisit what this fight was about. This week, we're going to share excerpts from a brilliant press release organized by San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace. It was held on Tuesday, August 30th, 2022, an emergency statewide press conference to oppose Governor Gavin Newsom's $1.4 billion giveaway to PG&E to keep the unreliable Diablo Canyon nuclear plant open. Well, it's a little long for a tweet, but you get the idea. You'll hear from those who know exactly what 
needed to be known by our legislators and the media who was covering them. But obviously, they did not listen. They did not realize what they were voting for, or, if they did, there were other benefits that accrued to them which overrode common sense. So what exactly did the legislature and the media ignore? What was and is actually so wrong with Diablo Canyon? And why does this vote in favor of its extension stink to high heaven? Here are press conference experts from five of the participants. We'll link to the full press conference on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 585. So what is so wrong with the Diablo Canyon nuclear reactors? A lot. All of it known, most of it ignored. All of what follows from each of the presenters is documented and footnoted by scientists, engineers, researchers, citizen activists, and more. People who have made themselves into genuine experts out of the need to get those with the power to affect change to listen to the difficult truths that have been uncovered. These are the voices of knowledgeable individuals with a range of credentials trying to be heard. Rather than let their logic and information fade into the, you lost, get over it, move on, I wanted to let you hear the quality of the opposition to Diablo Canyon, the voices that the nuclear industry wants you to continue to ignore. First, we'll hear from Kathy Iwane. In 2011, she and her family fled Japan to escape the effects of the Fukushima nuclear disaster and moved to Southern California, not knowing how close she was to the San Onofre nuclear reactors. She became active fighting for the closure of San Onofre and continued to work on the problems that came up during decommissioning, and especially with the five-eighths inch thin spent fuel canisters. Kathy is co-founder of the Coalition for Nuclear Safety and still lives in Southern California, not that far from San Onofre. I am co-founder of Coalition for Nuclear Safety. I also have two daughters. Governor Newsom's proposal, Senate Bill 846, will be voted on tomorrow night. If passed, it will extend operations at Diablo Canyon Nuclear Facility. This is an outrage to Californians seeking reliable and safe energy for our state. Don't fall for the false claim that we'll experience blackouts without Diablo Canyon online. Diablo Canyon is not a dependable power source. According to NRC Commission data, Diablo averages one or both reactors being shut down 40% of every year. Extending the life of Diablo Canyon actually increases our risk for blackouts. Newsom knows the battery storage of our renewable energy is the answer in sunny California. And it's a travesty that Newsom hasn't prepared adequately enough for the severe weather events and climate change that we're experiencing by investing in appropriate battery storage to coincide with the legal and previously approved battery uh, approved closure of Diablo Canyon in 2025. Battery storage and solar power my home and my car. It's widely known that storage will more than cover any loss from Diablo's closure. It gets worse. A sneaky solar tax has been added to this bill. Ratepayers will be charged a new fee based on gross energy consumption, including solar energy that powers solar users' homes and their batteries. Taxing the sun to pay for nuclear power discourages clean energy usage, and Gavin Newsom knows it. 
Newsom's plan grants $1.4 million as a forgivable loan from Californians to PG&E and exempts the convicted corporate felon from state safety regulations. There's nothing forgivable about this idea. When profits are privatized and losses are absorbed by the public without any concern for safety, you end up like Japan, a country which has paid dearly for its human error-ridden Fukushima disaster. I know, I witnessed the Fukushima triple nuclear meltdowns in real time and subsequently evacuated my family from Japan after 25 years of living there, raising a family, creating community. It's a life-changing event when you have to change the course of your life due to stupid mistakes like this. I watched as Japanese politicians prioritized relationships with TEPCO, the utility managing nuclear reactors in Fukushima, over listening to repeated warning signs from nuclear engineers the world over and activists alike. So what happens when you witness something like this? Citizens' dissenting voices are silenced. Distrust in government institutions is rampant. Cancer and radiation exposure-induced illnesses are censored in media, and the economy continues to tank. Do you see the parallels here with Gavin Newsom and PG&E? It's time to wake up. Currently, there is no federal plan to store our nation's radioactive waste. Letting Diablo run beyond its current licenses would add to the hundreds of tons of more high-level waste lethal for hundreds of generations to that already stored on site, allowing more waste to pile up at Diablo with no plan to store it safely into perpetuity, simply hands this nuclear nightmare waste problem to our next generation. It's irresponsible and it's an embarrassment for California. As a mother, I urge you all to hold your representatives accountable to vote no on Newsom's SBA 46. California can keep Diablo on track to close in 2025. That was Kathy Iwane, co-founder of the Coalition for Nuclear Safety. The nuclear industry likes to make itself appear to be a reliable source of energy that can work when solar, wind, and other renewables cannot. Yet, in truth, how reliable is Diablo Canyon? Donna Gilmore speaks next. She used to live in Southern California within five miles of the San Onofre nuclear reactors. After Fukushima, when she realized her proximity and the dangers from that nuclear reactor, she became involved in the work of shutting down San Onofre and working on other national battles. Donna is a whiz at doing research and crunching numbers, and here she provides insights into the myth that Diablo Canyon could be a long-term reliable source of energy for California. One or both reactors have been down 40% of the days in every year. So you can see, look at 2008, 163 days, 219, 149. So all these days, these were planned and unplanned outages. So how can Governor Newsom support the claim that these reactors can both be up when they're down where at least one or two are down 40% of the days in the year. This should be the Kill Bill event here, because that's the whole house of cards here. And I researched the reasons for the downs. Some were planned, 
for maintenance and refueling. Some were because they looked at a, for example, they looked at this pump that was getting corroded by the ocean and said, well, we'll put that off later. And then later they have an emergency shutdown of the reactor. So you, you don't need Ukrainians or Russians. We got PG&E. And then to make matters worse, they want PG&E to have an open checkbook. They're going to get an open checkbook, whatever it costs, and they're not telling us, whatever it costs to get this reactor up to where it can run another 20 years, we have to pay for it. All the Californians have to pay for it. All the ratepayers in the other utilities, San Diego Gas and Electric, Southern California Edison, and the CCAs are going to have to pay for Diablo Canyon and overpay for all of this. This is insane. This was not mentioned in either the Senate or Assembly hearings. And this is crucial information that should be the kill bill event of this bill. That was Donna Gilmore, founder of SanOnofreSafety.org. The problems at Diablo Canyon far exceed the difficulties created by regular outages of operation. The most serious of these were addressed by Daniel Hirsch. He is the retired director of the Program on Environmental and Nuclear Policy at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and president of Committee to Bridge the Gap, a nonprofit nuclear policy organization focusing on issues of nuclear safety, waste disposal, proliferation, and disarmament. In the press conference, which was carried on Zoom, He shared slides showing earthquake faults and their proximity to the Diablo Canyon nuclear reactors. We'll have one of them showing all one of those slides showing all of the faults up on the website under this episode, number 585. And finally, they now had to admit that there could be a joint rupture along the Hosbury, San Simeon, San Gregorio fault zone, which runs from south of the reactors to north of San Francisco. So they began with the claim of no active faults within 30 kilometers and no interconnections. And now it's known that there are four nearby faults and several interconnections. PG&E testified on Thursday and Friday before the legislature that don't worry, there is a resident NRC inspector on site. And if it were unsafe, they would shut it down. But the senior resident inspector at the time, Dr. Michael Peck, indeed concluded it was unsafe, violating its license and should be shut down. And rather than shutting it down, the NRC transferred him back east. So we have a toothless regulator and a criminal utility when it's been found guilty of numerous crimes that have resulted in numerous deaths. And you know that, for example, Judge Alsop, who oversaw PG&E's handling of safety issues, said, in these five years, PG&E has been on a crime spree and will emerge from probation as a continuing menace to California. And even uh, Governor Newsom, as recently as 2019 in the New York Times said about PG&E, they have simply been caught red-handed over and over again, lying, manipulating, or misleading the public. So you have a terribly dangerous mix. 15 billion curies of radioactivity in each reactor, the ability for that to get released if there's a loss of cooling resulting in melting, a criminal utility that really doesn't want this facility license extension extended and has been pressured into it. So a mix of an incompetent and reluctant utility and the most dangerous energy technology on earth is a very, very toxic. What is most perhaps troubling is the process for a moment. And that is that the governor didn't want this proposal 
to be considered with the deliberation of the legislature. The normal process of introducing it, having it go to a policy committee, an appropriations committee, the floor, amendments, testimony, and all that. So he's released it at the last moment. And you only do that if you know that something can't withstand scrutiny. Now, if this was just a minor matter of passing money on to a big contributor or something, it would be bad, but not horrendous. But jamming through something that could result in the release of this massive amount of radioactivity and trying to do that in the last few hours of session is extremely disturbing. Let me end with this observation. This is all occurring at the same time that there is a reactor complex in Ukraine that is under fire, that had offsite power disrupted twice about a week ago. If you lose offsite power, you can lose cooling if your diesel generators fail or if you run out of diesel fuel. At the same time that the world's attention is focused on those reactors in Ukraine, where a release can result in contaminating a large portion of Ukraine and Europe, we in California, for frankly craven political reasons, are placing at risk this state to have a release of the very sort that we're frightened can occur in Ukraine. So my deep, deep concern is that one of the most momentous decisions ever made in the state is being jammed through the legislature in the last few hours of session with no real consideration of the potential consequences, which could be immense. Daniel Hirsch, president of Committee to Bridge the Gap. Another expert, one who is familiar to listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat, is Arnie Gunderson. He is a licensed nuclear reactor operator with more than 50 years of nuclear power engineering experience. Now, as chief engineer for Fairwinds Associates, he testifies on behalf of states, municipalities, NGOs, and environmental organizations regarding the hazards and violations at nuclear reactors and atomic waste sites. He follows up on the points that Dan Hirsch was making and speaks to another vulnerability at Diablo Canyon. I looked at half a dozen to a dozen nuclear plants that had experienced a motion in the ground, and I looked at how much the tops weighed. And the top of every nuclear power plant that's ever experienced an earthquake has swayed more than the designers ever anticipated. Well, what that tells me about Diablo is that when the big one hits, Diablo won't withstand it. There's just no way based on the history of earthquakes at other nuclear plants around the country that the amplified response spectra at the top of that building is adequate to prevent that structure from failing. My report was used as part of these negotiations to get the deal between the organizations that signed on to close the Diablo in 2024. And I really believe a deal is a deal. I mean, maybe I'm just an old guy and that's an, that's an old mentality, but you know, you enter into a deal, you got a deal. And uh, it looks like Governor Newsom is threatening that. You know, if you want to spend a billion dollars invested in the transmission lines, the real grid instabilities in California are because of fires. So my bottom line is that Diablo is least safe, the worst nuclear plant in the country, and that if a nuclear disaster were to occur, it will make the campfire look like a picnic. Arnie Gunderson, Chief Engineer at Fairwinds Energy Education. Next, 
we hear from the esteemed Harvey Wasserman. He is a journalist, author, democracy activist, and advocate for renewable energy. Harvey has been a strategist and organizer in the anti-nuclear movement in the United States for over 30 years, and he has plenty of insights to share. I'm a Los Angeles resident. I have children and grandchildren in Los Angeles. I've been with the nuclear issue since the 70s. Back then, you had to have an evacuation plan to have a license. And uh, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, of course, uh, let this go. But I would like to see the evacuation plan for Los Angeles. If there is, God forbid, an accident at Diablo Canyon, and you know we've been going here all these years for the grace of God, the only reason that the Diablo Canyon hasn't turned into an apocalypse is that we haven't had an earthquake. God knows we're overdue. Dr. Michael Peck, the new NRC second sector, long ago said that those two reactors cannot withstand credible earthquakes. And basically, we're playing Fukushima roulette here. It's outrageous. So let the governor show us the evacuation plan for Los Angeles, please, before this anything goes further. I will say about the process. Gavin Newsom was party to the agreement to shut Diablo in 2016. He's been rolling along in 2019. We specifically asked him with a petition signed by 2,500 people, including Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Martin Sheen, Eric Roberts, and Asner. We asked him to please inspect Unit 1 because we know it's imbrittable. We don't know how imbrittable it is and whether pipes are breaking and so on. And Gavin Newsom in 2019 refused to inspect either reactor. How do you continue operating 40-year-old machines if they're not inspected? Our cars in California have to be inspected, and they also have to be insured. Diablo Canyon has no insurance. There is a $13 billion fund, or thereabouts, which will cover the damage maybe to half of Avalon Beach, and the trillions of dollars in damage that would be done by Diablo Canyon if and when it blows up for God's sakes, have no insurance. I have a home in Los Angeles. I've read the insurance policy. There is a specific exemption. If Diablo Canyon blows up, God forbid, and a radioactive cloud covers my house in the valley, I get nothing. Nobody gets anything. There is no insurance. It's outrageous. It's even more outrageous now that they've thrown in a bill to kill solar. What sane energy planner in 2022 kills rooftop solar in California while arguing that we need the power from a nuclear power plant. That is the definition of bad faith and of insanity. And we are all at risk from here. We're all uninsured and we got to stop playing Fukushima roulette. For a final thought on the ill-advised Diablo Canyon reboot, we return to Harvey Wasserman. Here, he talks about a 1977 demonstration he participated in that prefigured the Fukushima disaster and gives him all the markings of a modern-day Cassandra who hopefully will be listened to from this point on. In 1977, I marched in Japan with thousands of Japanese citizens who specifically said, do not build nuclear power plants in a zone washed by tsunamis and shaken by earthquakes. And TEPCO and the Japanese government laughed at us and said, forget it, it's not gonna happen. We know it happened. We have been warning exactly the same thing at Diablo Canyon for 50 years. Not only don't these people listen, 
but they have no morals and no ethics in pushing through this abstention, and we have to stop it. Harvey Wasserman. All that important information, all the energy spent trying to educate the California legislator, reporters, Governor Gavin, hey, I'm planning to run for president in 2024, Newsom, all of the information ignored. Legislators put fingers in their ears and went, la, 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 we can't hear you. To the perspective that Diablo Canyon needed to stay on track for closure. It's a devastating blow, but nowhere near the end of the story. Before the dust even settled from that outrageous vote, Mothers for Peace vowed to not back down and issued the following statement on September 1, 2022. Quote, After battling to shut Diablo Canyon for over 40 years, tonight we were stunned by the decision of the California legislature to approve Governor Newsom's brazen proposal to keep Diablo operating past its agreed-upon closing date by 2025. In essence, This vote puts in jeopardy years of deliberate and careful planning to retire the twin reactors, providing a runway for clean, renewable energy. Further, this vote will cause financial pain to taxpayers and ratepayers, extends the ongoing fear of a seismic event, and exacerbates the environmental damage Diablo Canyon inflicts. Mothers for Peace will continue to fight to keep Diablo on track to close by 2025. In the posting of this statement, Mary Beth Brangan and Jim Heddle of the Ecological Options Network, one of the major players in the work to keep Diablo Canyon shut down, added, We are grateful for every phone call and letter you sent to the legislators and your unwavering support in the collective effort to shut down Diablo Canyon by 2025. This vote does not mean we are giving up. In fact, we are more energized and determined than ever. We will persevere. Yes, we will. And remember, every nuclear reactor is subject to many of the same problems as at Diablo Canyon. And all are in the same boat as the six reactors at Zaporizhia in Ukraine, primed worse than dirty bombs on the ground in our own backyards, vulnerable to foreign terrorists, domestic terrorists, mentally disturbed individual outliers, and maybe even those wanting to grandstand for some attention before destroying themselves and the reactor fuel pools with them, and a whole lot of people and environment in an attempt to attract attention. Where there is a nuclear reactor, there is potential for disaster on many fronts, natural and manufactured. Yes, Mothers for Peace will continue to fight, as will E.ON, the Committee to Bridge the Gap, and San Onofre Safety. They, we, invite everyone within hearing of this program to find their own local or national anti-nuclear organization and join with them. After all, it's only our shared future that's at stake. And if you wish to extend your understanding and review the talking points in some details, we will have links up to a full-length interview that was conducted with Linda Seeley and Jane Swanson of Mothers for Peace that appeared two weeks ago on Nuclear Hot Seat number 583, August 23, 2022. We will also have links up to the nonukesca.net site and the other organizations mentioned. Here's hoping 
that this wrong-headed decision can be turned around before it's too late. Activists, activists, shout out, shout out, shout out. Congratulations to Jack and Felicia Cohen Joppa for putting out the 200th issue of the Nuclear Resistor. This month marks 42 years of chronicling anti-nuclear and anti-war resistance and supporting imprisoned activists. You can read many back issues by going to nukeresistor.org slash back issues. And we hope to get them on the show sometime in the near future, because with 42 years of work, that's three decades more than nuclear hot seat. That's a long time. Jill Murphy-Long, who has been working a lot on Three Mile Island-related issues, is going to be in Washington, D.C., Monday, September 19th through Wednesday, the 21st, and lobbying in Congress. Her focus will be about Three Mile Island and the health survey of those affected by the 1979 meltdown, the misleading message that nuclear is being sold as safe, clean, and green, and the need to turn to green and blue renewable energy today. This will hopefully be more than a single-person effort, and if you wish to join with her, you can contact Jill Murphy-Long on Facebook. We've started seeing all kinds of pictures from the March Across Wales being done by young climate activists drawing attention to the fact that nuclear is not clean, green energy and has nothing to do with helping out in the climate crisis. It looks like they're having a great time, and they're also spreading the word in small communities all across Wales. Something for younger activists here in the United States to think about. And a heads-up warning that on Friday, September 9, filmmaker Oliver Stone is going to premiere his latest propaganda piece, he's calling it a documentary, at the Venice Film Festival entitled Nuclear, Time to Look Again. And no, we understand that it doesn't mean that we should look again and reject this energy, but that it's going to be a shill piece on behalf of the nuclear industry and nuclear energy. And how do we know this for sure? Because absolutely nobody who opposes nukes was contacted for this film and knew anything about it. Fasten seatbelts, it's going to be Pandora's Promise all over again. If you're handy with letters to the editor to rebut any reviews that might come out about this film that reflect it in a positive way, please have something prepared and send it out as soon as you can so that we can counter this nonsense. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, September 6, 2022. Material for this week's show has been researched and compiled from nuclear-news.net, deunrenard.wordpress.com, beyondnuclear.org, nears.org, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, or ICANW.org, china.org.cn, nhk.or.jp, kieronews.net, yahoo.com, APnews.com, Interfax.com, Newsweek.com, the INS.ru, the Bulletin.org, IBTimes.com, MSN.com, IAEA.org, Mothers for Peace, Ecological Options Network, Ed Lyman and the Union of Concerned Scientists, RNZ.co.nz, JapanTimes.co.jp, DECN.com, 
www.plowshares.co.jp, reachingcriticalwill.org, plowshares.ca, climatecrocs.com, theguardian.com, express.co.uk, ecclesia.co.uk, mainichi.jp, reuters.com, oilprice.com, bloomberg.com, academia.edu, marianwildart.wordpress.com, newmail.co.uk, cnbc.com, fair.org, and the captured and compromised by the industry they are supposed to be regulating, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Our thanks to Linda Pence-Gunter of Beyond Nuclear for her weekly Nuclear Hot Seat Hot Story. If you would like to get Nuclear Hot Seat delivered via email every week, it's easy. You can sign up for it by going to our website, nuclearhotseat.com, Look for the yellow box, and once you get there, put in your first name and your email address. That puts you on the database, and every week you will get one email with the link to the show and a short description of some of the show's contents. That way, you will get the show every week as soon as it posts. Or if you prefer, go to wherever you access your favorite podcasts and subscribe to us there. Either way... You don't have to miss a single episode of Nuclear Hot Seat ever again. And we will only send you that one email a week. We don't sell your information, nor do we bug you. We just want you to get the show, okay? Now, here's your participation part. If you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. You're on the ground with your own local issues, so you know what's going on and don't assume that I do. Every little tip, you never know when it's going to end up being a story or at least a mention on the show. So help me out. Let's cover the world with what it is we are seeing so the nukesters don't get away with everything they've been getting away with. And remember, if you can go to Nuclear Hot Seat and donate, we really need your support. Anything you can do, we will really appreciate it, and you'll have the satisfaction of knowing that you truly helped. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2022, Libby Halevi and Heartistry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provided. That means you cite the program, the website. If you cite any of the guests, please use their name, and hey, throw mine in if you've got a chance. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, producer and host of Nuclear Hot Seat, reminding you that the last thing anyone who opposes nuclear wants to be able to say is, I told you so. Are you listening, Gavin Nukesum? There you have it. You have just had your weekly nuclear wake-up call. So whatever you do, do not go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb.